Can't Take My Eyes Off of You, I think is a perfect song to launch us into the last few verses of the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. But before we do that, we wanna take a moment and say hey to Grace at all locations, Carrollwood Campus, let's give it up for the Carrollwood Campus. Land of Lakes, we love you. Come on, let's keep it going. And hey, we got our broadcast campus right here, Lutz, woo, Lutz. All right, not to be outdone by South Tampa, Temple Terrace, and Ebor. Come on, let's make some noise. And while we're clapping, let's make a little clap for our upcoming Clearwater Campus. Yeah. All right, and hey, a special hello to all of you watching online. You're part of our family too. One of our biggest mottos here is family is our middle name, and we're so glad you're part of the family today. Well, my name's Jonathan. I'm the associate creative pastor here at Grace, and I don't know if you noticed over here, we got a nice lava lamp. This was the biggest one we could find, okay, for you guys in the back. So how many of you have ever owned a lava lamp? Oh, look at all these hands. Yeah, these are some cool people here, some, some, some groovy cats, if you, if you will. I don't know. Uh, no, but if you, if you owned a lava lamp, which it seems like a lot of you have, you know the instructions. Simple instructions, but very important. Plug it in, of course. Turn it on and leave the light on. Let's say it together. Leave the light on. You can't turn the light off, okay? The instructions are very clear. If you turn the light off, everything's gonna go horribly wrong. It's like gremlins. It'll create a monster, okay? No, I'm just kidding. It's, 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 it's the wax. It's the coil. See, the coil needs time to warm the wax and create these beautiful blobs that we all know and love. And I've got this lava lamp up here because I really do think it puts out the vibe, but it's also gonna help illuminate the final six verses of the love chapter. So we've been on this love tour for five weeks now. It's been amazing to see Lily the love bus just taking all the ground in Tampa. How many have actually seen Lily, a live sighting of Lily? Anybody, anybody? She looks so good on social media, but I gotta tell you, Lily the love bus has had some behind the scenes drama, okay? I don't know if you guys know about this, but since the love tour started, Lily has needed a new starter, a new battery, two new windshields, and I think somewhere around 50 push starts. So love is not easy, okay? Sometimes it needs a push start. But I wanna give a quick shout out to Joshua McNeil, the driver of the love bus, one of the most patient human beings I know. Thanks, man, for making it happen. But all the while, we have been touring through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, to see God's definition of love. What does he have to say about it? We've learned what love is. We've learned what love is not. And we've learned what love does. And if you're just starting now, I encourage you, circle back, go to the beginning of the tour, watch all of those messages, such rich, good content. But today, we are gonna be talking about what love never does. What love never does. So let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse eight. If you don't have your Bibles, all good. We're gonna have all the scriptures on the screen for you and you can follow on the GFC app. We got all the notes there. Let's jump in. Here we go. Big statement. Are you guys ready for this? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. Let's go. 1 Corinthians 13, eight, big, bold statement. Love never fails. Now, I think I've just split the room just right off the bat because I feel like half of us are like, yeah, amen, brother. Love never fails, woo! And the other half are like, yeah, it does. Like all the time. Like even if I'm turning the camera on myself, I'm like, yeah, my love is constantly failing. Listen, I wanna be, I wanna be a good parent. I wanna be a good friend. I wanna be a good guy. But there is a limit 
to my love. Just being honest up here and saying, I have a limit, okay? The bazillionth time my child doesn't pick up their shoes from the floor or the, the family member who just takes and takes and takes and never asks me how I'm doing. Whatever it is, it always gets us to the point where it's like, yeah, muscle failure, right? Our love just gives out. Lily the love bus is running on fumes here. I, don't, I got no love in the tank for you. We've all hit that moment where it seems like, yeah, love definitely fails. How many of you guys are CrossFitters? Any CrossFitters on any campus? Raise your hand. Okay, CrossFit. Uh, pastor Aridus Ribeiro, the creative pastor here, convinced me somehow uh, to do a year of CrossFit with him. Miserable year, okay? But here's what I learned. Here's what I learned doing my year of CrossFit is that the instructors in CrossFit, they, they want nothing more than for you to fail. Like they're, they're constantly pushing you they're pushing you until you fail, all right? And they even say, push till failure, bro. Push till failure. And I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't like that, bro, all right? I understand pushing, yeah, okay, but like, I wanna push till success, you know what I'm saying? Push till failure doesn't feel right, but, but in the religion of CrossFit, all right, they teach you this, they teach you when you fail, that's actually success because you've successfully pushed yourself to the limit, all right? And it doesn't take much pushing for me. But I wanna take that theology, that CrossFit theology, and I wanna apply it to love never fails. Sometimes when we think, oh, love failed me again, maybe it's just your affections giving out. But, but, but when your affections give out, you don't have to give up on people. It may actually be the very moment when love as the Bible describes it, kicks in. Because love as the Bible describes it is not uh, some kind of cold that you catch. It's not like a manhole that you fall into. I fell in love. No, it is a culture that you build with your choices. Ephesians 4.2 talks about the discipline of love, the choices we actually have to make for love to come to be. Let's read it. Ephesians 4.2 says, be patient with each other. Oh, that doesn't sound very romantic. Make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. I gotta tell you, I do not believe in love at first sight. Um, Rachel and I, my wife of 14 years, woo! When we, thank you, thank you, thank you. When we first met, it was not love at first sight. Gotta be honest with you. I was not much to look at, all right? I was a skinny kid, all right? Not very suave, not very attractive, very different from how I am now, really ripped and handsome. So um, don't laugh at that. Um, but she was like the poster child for a hot topic, okay? She was dark, edgy, you know? She listened to like angry music. I was intimidated by her. We did not see eye to eye until, until we both decided that we were gonna join the youth worship band. And I'm telling you guys, Sparks flew, okay? I was on keys, she was on the bass, which was super cool, female bass player, but she didn't always know the chords to the song, so I would have to like, I would mouth her like, G, E, but I, but I, I really meant I love you. It was very romantic. Okay, no, but I finally did make a decision because here's what you have to understand about me is that I was a really picky guy. I didn't date very much at all. Actually, I didn't date anybody until Rachel because simply the fact of, I knew that it would be a lot of work to break up with someone. Right? And I did not want to go through all that work. So I'm like, I'm just going to pick the right person the first time if I can. So Rachel, she had caught my attention and it was time to take the next step. All right, so here's what I did. Here was my plan. I was going to take a friend hangout. This is what I called it with her. And I was going to magically transform it halfway through 
into a date, okay? Without her even knowing it, because you know girls love when they're on dates and they don't know it, right? So I took her painting to the park, super pretentious, I know, but that's just what we did, all right? I thought it would be the perfect scenario to express my love to her, but I, I, I couldn't seem to find the segue, you know? It's like, uh, I really like that paint you chose and I wanna marry you. Uh, it just didn't, it just didn't, it just, it never worked. And I, the, the night was getting, it was going on and on and on. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm missing my window. And she's like, I really gotta get back. So I'm driving her to her car. I panic, I'm shaking and I like, I like turn the wheel left real quick. And I'm like, hey, you, you wanna go to Starbucks? I was trying to buy myself some time. And she's looking at me like, are you, are you kidnapping me? I'm like, no, 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 no. I take her to Starbucks. I'm like a nervous wreck. I'm just trying to figure out how I'm gonna say what I wanna say. I, uh, I ordered coffee and realized I didn't have my wallet. So she had to pay for her coffee and my coffee. Um, super smooth date, it's going really good, man. Um, I sit down with the coffee, I'm shaking, I'm staring at the wall, can't look her in the eye. I actually, my head plops down on the table a couple of times. She's like, are you having a nervous breakdown? And I finally get the words out. I'm like, listen, this whole night was all about me trying to say how I feel about you. I was just trying to find the time to say, I wanna be with you for the rest of my life. I love you and I wanna marry you. It was like zero to a hundred, man. It was a whirlwind. She's like, whoa, all right. Um, but she smiled, so that was a good sign. And here's what she said. She said, listen, um, I've actually been waiting like a whole year for you to say that. I'd already made up my mind like a year ago that we were supposed to be together. I was just waiting for you to get your stuff together. I'm like, oh, uh, sorry, okay. So our relationship was founded on this, this idea that I'm fumbling around and she already knows what's going on. And it's pretty much been the same all, all of our 14 years. But here's the point. The point is, Rachel wasn't charmed by my suave personality. She'd actually already made a choice, just like Ephesians 4.2 says, a choice to be patient, to allow for my faults because of her love for me. She'd make it, made a choice. And this is what love is, is a culture built on series of choices. And so when we look at love never fails in the Bible, I want us to see it two ways. On the one hand, love never fails means this, God's love will never fail us. And that's great news. His love is perfect. It surrounds us. It protects us. There's nothing we can do to make him love us less or more. It's secure. It's perfect. God's love is perfect. And that is an amazing promise. But on the other hand, love never fails is a challenge. Because now that we've received such unfailing love, God says, I wanna flip the script on you. I wanna know if you can share that love with others. I wanna know if you can love others the same way I love you. That's a little more difficult than that. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna jump into Lily the love bus. Okay, we're touring through 1 Corinthians 13. I wanna drive, make a beeline all the way to the last verse of the chapter because there's something I wanna pick up before we go any further. So let's read 1 Corinthians 13, 13, last verse of the chapter together. Here we go. It says this. Now, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is, you out there? Love, yes, absolutely. What does this mean? Three things remain. The greatest of these is love. Here's what I wanna do. I wanna take these three words, faith, hope, and love. I wanna pack them into the love bus. We're gonna go in reverse, go all the way back to verse eight, and let's read it together because I think we're gonna need these three tools. 
These three tools, faith, hope, and love, this is what God has given us to see a clear picture of himself. But it also says the greatest of these is love. Why is love the greatest? Here's what we're gonna figure out together, starting in verse eight. It says this, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. What is Paul talking about? I think he's talking about the exact same thing David talked about when he said, life is like smoke. When Solomon said, man, life is like vanity. It's all vanity, grasping at the wind. Peter said, it's a lot like withering grass. And James was talking about, it's a vapor, it's mist. Basically what they're all agreeing on is life is a little shifty. Shifty with an F, I, I didn't swear, don't worry. You don't have to censor that out. Shifty, life is shifty, okay? And I feel like life got especially shifty last March, if you know what I mean. When we all had to make an enormous pivot, the world completely changed in a matter of weeks. And I know we've all got our story about that, but here's one perspective from the zone team, our children's ministry. This is, this is where I do most of my creative work is with our children's ministry. And we were, we were trying to come up with a series leading up to Easter last year. And so our idea was this series is gonna be called Tag. It's gonna be so fun. Our big idea is gonna be give someone a hand. It's, it's not as scary as you think. And we even had one of our musical geniuses who works here, Mr. Elijah, he came up with a song. It was like, give someone a hand. It was so catchy. We were so proud and confident. In the meantime, all this news is starting to circulate about coronavirus and how it could be spread by contact and all of these hand sanitizers going off the shelves and also toilet paper for some reason. And so Rachel, she's reading the news. She's looking at what we're trying to plan. My wife, she's on our team. And she says, is it a little tone deaf that we're doing a series called Tag with all this coronavirus stuff going on? I'm like, nah. I predict that the coronavirus thing is gonna be done in like a week. Let's keep going with this series, all right? Two weeks later, the rest is history. The church was shut down. Everybody's at home. We definitely canned that series tag because uh, it became completely irrelevant in a matter of weeks. My point is this. My point is this. We cannot control what happens. We cannot predict what happens. But God's given us these tools in the midst of a very shifty world. And these tools are faith, hope, and love. These are the tools that help us see through the smoke, help us three, see through the, the, the mist and the haze to see what actually lasts, what's unchanging, what's actually unfailing. It's the character and the person of God. We get to see love that overcomes the world, even though the world is changing every day. This is what faith, hope, and love do for us. But when we're looking at these three tools, we're gonna spread them out. Faith, hope, and love. Faith and hope, they're for me. They're for us because Every day I'm gonna pick up that tool and I'm gonna say, I'm gonna exercise my faith today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say my hope, my hope isn't Jesus today. I'm gonna use this tool, but love's a little different. Love is a tool that we pick up and use for others. And so for that reason, sometimes we don't feel the same urgency, but here we're reading that out of these three tools, the greatest is love. Why is love the greatest? Well, let's keep reading because Paul's gonna take us on a little detour with a lot of twists and turns but we're gonna learn something in the middle of it. So let's buckle up and let's hang on. 1 Corinthians 13, nine says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. All right, now he's gonna take a real sharp turn. It's like, Paul, what are you talking about? He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. 
But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. And then he takes another turn. Like, okay, what was that all about? Uh, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now you read this and you're like, I think Paul got lost on the love tour. Like he's rambling a little bit. He's talking about some stuff that maybe doesn't have anything to do with love never fails. Actually, I think he's taking us on this route because he wants us to see something about these three tools, faith, hope, and love. He asks about childhood. He said, when I, was a, when I was a child, I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. How many of you guys remember how you thought as a child? I remember one time I had the VHS tape of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Great movie. And I would put it in my VCR. And every time I pressed play, I thought that the people in the movie were like actually in the TV performing it live just for me. And my, I, I turned to my mom and I was like, mom, how do these actors have time for anything else? Like I watch this movie every day. She looks at me like, oh, you have so much to learn, son. <laughs> But even now, the kids in the zone, when I walk into the zone and they see Pastor Jonathan up on the screen and then the real me walks in, they're like, wait, how? You're there and you're here. I I don't get it. It's magic. Because they're so smart, but there's still so much they don't understand. And I think we're the same way. I think we know God. We understand who he is. But there's a whole lot, a whole lot we don't understand. Now, faith, hope, and love, they help us to see who Jesus is. And and faith and hope especially help us see Jesus. But love, love actually gives us the fullest picture of who Jesus is. Why? Because faith and hope, they ignite our imagination, but love is the actual practical experience of never leaving and never forsaking. I don't know if you've ever been truly loved by somebody, like that selfless love where you're looking at them and you're like, why are you being so kind? Why are you being so generous? This is the actual experience of the character of God. That's the power of love. And that's why love is the greatest of these. It's actually giving us a tangible bit of who God is. And here's my question. My question is, is it possible for you and I to love each other with the same love that God loves us with? Is that possible? Is it possible to learn the art of never leaving and never forsaking? I think the Bible tells us that it's possible if we remember what love never does. And I wanna take a, a glimpse really quick to close us out. at somebody who learned what love never does firsthand, had a front row seat, the person of Jesus in front of him every day. This is the disciple, John. John who was self-titled the disciple Jesus loved. Like that's bold, John. Like you gave yourself that title. Wow. Like if I came out here and I was like, hey guys, hey Grace, it's Jonathan, the pastor Jesus loved. You'd be like, but John earned it. Trust me, he earned it. And we're going to see how he earned it. So what I want to do is I want to open up to the first chapter of John. Okay. We're going to read about a different John, John the Baptist, who has two disciples and they meet up with Jesus. Let's read it together. All right. John 1:35. the following day, John, different John, John the Baptist, was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John the Baptist looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. And when John the Baptist's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. It's not every day the Lamb of God walks by, okay? And these disciples are hooked. They're fascinated. I wanna know who this Lamb of God is. I'm interested in this Lamb of God. But what they didn't know is that Jesus was actually more interested in them 
See, when he walked by, he never did anything unintentionally. I believe he was trying to recruit those two disciples. So who were those disciples? One of them was Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, and the second one, the author of this book, John. So what he's doing here is he's disguising the story of his first meeting with Jesus. We don't realize that it's him who's this disciple, but it is. This is the first time John meets Jesus and he's already learning from Jesus. Even as he begins to follow, he's learning. What Jesus is gonna teach him is that love never does three things. Number one, it never loses interest. So John would have known in Psalm 139, verse one, the verse, you have searched me and you know me. But he's about to experience it firsthand because when they follow Jesus, let's read John 138. Jesus looked around and saw them following. He turns around and he asked them a question. What do you want? A direct question. I feel like sometimes we think of Jesus as like TV movie Jesus, like he's got perfect posture and he's like flowing kind of, you know, there's like a lens flare coming off of him and he's like, Ah, you've come to learn from the master, have you? I'm like, why is Jesus always talking with a British accent in these things? That is not Jesus. Jesus was practical. He looked them dead in the eyes and he asked them, what do you want? He leaned in. He was interested in why they were following him. And so I can imagine the scene. They're out in the dirt road. Jesus leans in, he stops. He says, what do you want? And they kind of lean in too. They're like, well, Rabbi, which means teacher, wh where are you staying? And Jesus leans in even further and gives them a full itinerary of his love tour, where he's stopping next. He says, come and see. Jesus is a man that like, he just gets to the point. He like, he doesn't spoil anything. He's like, I'm not gonna tell you what's gonna happen. You can either decide to follow me or not, but here's what I am gonna do. I'm gonna open the door and invite you into my life. I am going to lean in. What Jesus is teaching John here is that love never leans out. Every time John leans in, Jesus leans in closer. And the more John witnesses Jesus's life, he sees that this is a repeated pattern. Every time somebody asks, they receive. Every time they seek, they find. Every time they knock, the door is open. Every time somebody draws close to Jesus, he draws close to them. It's a learned behavior a culture created, built by choices. And it culminates in this amazing story. One of my favorites, the night Jesus is about to be arrested, he and his disciples are hanging out and he drops a bomb on them. He's like, hey, so you know, one of you guys is gonna betray me. One of you guys is gonna sell me out. Makes it really, really uncomfortable. Like Jesus had a way of doing that. Just like says something, everybody's like, oh. So all the disciples lean out, except one. Which one you think? John, John is the one who's learned the habit that love doesn't lean out. So instead he doubles down, he leans in, puts his arm around Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, which one of these knuckleheads is gonna betray you? Come on, tell me, tell me, tell me. He's so comfortable in his relationship with Jesus that when things get uncomfortable, he leans in. I wanna be like John. When things get uncomfortable in my life, I don't wanna lean out from Jesus. I wanna lean in. I wanna create a habit of leaning in to Jesus. This is what John did. He kept leaning and he leaned in and followed Jesus into the worst night of Jesus's life. Betrayed, arrested, put on trial, put on a cross. But before we go any further in that story, I wanna look back at John chapter one and see because remember, Jesus said, come and see. 
They said, where are you going? He said, come and see. What did they do? It was about four o'clock in the afternoon, John 1, when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. John meets Jesus. He's immediately fascinated. He's leaning in and he makes a choice to remain. That's the key word here, remain with Jesus for the rest of the day. And he didn't just remain through that day. He remained through every miracle. He remained through the betrayal, through the arrest. And now here John is. He's standing, looking at Jesus on the cross. And he's the only one out of 12, 11 out of 12 disciples scatter. But John decides he's gonna stay. He's gonna stay and he's gonna watch his best friend, his savior die. And in that moment, I'm sure his heart was breaking. Remembering the words of Jesus when he said, hey, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. And John says, Jesus, here I am. I'm remaining in you, but you're gone. I just watched you die. But he remains, he leans in further until what happens? Three days later, John races Peter to the tomb and wins. He put that in his own book. He's like, by the way, I won that race. But he looks in and he says, oh my gosh. He realizes that what he believed about love has actually happened through the resurrection power of Jesus. He sees that the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive and he realizes it's true. It's true what Jesus said when he promised me that love never leaves. Love never leaves. Not even death could separate this love from John. Incredible to see a life like this where he's learning from Jesus the art of never leaving and never forsaking. I wanna close with a, a story. When I was in my 20s, I, I met this kid named Doug and Doug was a super smart kid, um, loved the Bible, but Doug actually, he lost his way a little bit, but it, it wasn't anything like you would think. Actually, he, he was on a missions trip. He went on a missions trip with a friend and that friend was not a good friend. That friend left him in Colombia, took his transportation, his money and abandoned Doug. And we didn't know where Doug was for two years, lost in, in South America. Finally, Doug made it home, but he was not in a good state. I mean, he, he was in a severe state of, of depression and had to be admitted to a mental treatment facility. And so I decided, I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be there for Doug. I'm gonna love on Doug. This is a tough time for him, but I had no idea what I was getting myself into, okay? I thought I was gonna come in there with my charm and my winning personality and my smile and be like, yeah, a couple of visits, Doug's gonna snap out of it. I brought Scrabble because uh, who in an extreme state of depression can resist a game of Scrabble, right? I, uh, I read him scriptures, I prayed for him, I talked to him over and over and over about anything, everything. Nothing seemed to work. And actually there was a point where he kind of looked up to me and he's like, hey, nothing is working here. You're like, nothing you're doing is helping. And that really hurt. And so I, I took a little sidebar with God and I said, hey, God, listen, I know you told me that you know, I'm supposed to love Doug here, but I, I think I'm tapped out. I think my love is failing, Doug, honestly. And uh, I tried, but I, I think I'm gonna have to call it on this one. And I just, this, this crazy conversation with God happened where he said, yeah, you, you tried, but what if, what if you tried again? Oh God, I, I don't really know what I'm doing and nothing I'm doing is working. And God says, yeah, that's right. Nothing you're doing is working. But what if you, what if you just did it anyway? Like, well, that's, God, that's really uncomfortable. 
God said, yeah, it is uncomfortable, but what if uncomfortable is what love does? What if the goal is to make yourself uncomfortable to be there for somebody who badly needs it? <sighs> Shoot. All right, so I decided I was gonna hang out with Doug a little bit longer. Nothing left to say. By the way, Doug lived at his mom's house, which she had like 12 cats. And I'm, I'm not a cat person. Sorry to all you cat people out there. Um, but I just, if one cat is, is, is too many cats, okay? But she had 12. And so I'm sitting there in Doug's living room. There's a Scrabble game unfinished pitifully on the table. Cats everywhere crawling all over us. And me every minute on the minute, just talking to God in my head, giving up on Doug saying, this isn't working. This doesn't, this doesn't matter. Why am I doing this? What is the point? And I heard God say this, what if, what if you loved Doug the same way that I love you? <sighs> okay, God, kept showing up, kept coming to his house. Nothing left to do, I just showed up. Hey, Doug, well, gotta go. Hey, Doug, every day, every day, every day. Finally, I saw Doug smile. That was something, that was a, that was a, big, a big change. He talked a little bit more. He actually asked, hey, can I go hang out with you and your friends one night? Absolutely, Doug, yeah. Hey, can I, can I come back to, to church with you? Doug, come on, let's go. Hey, can I start serving with you? Of course, Doug, this is amazing. This is progress. This is what I'm talking about. This is a testimony. And I honestly was pretty proud of myself. I'm like, look at me, look at me, loving my friend, building this amazing testimony. And then Doug relapsed. And he didn't just relapse, he relapsed on a Sunday morning in the middle of church in front of everybody. It had to be escorted out. He had a mental break, interrupted service, had to be escorted out. And I was standing there, like my heart just crumbled. I, I was angry, angry, really angry at God. And I said, God, can you please explain this? Why in the world did you take me through all of this? Have me stay at Doug's house every day to see all of this progress. And now here we are back at square one. Seriously, God, what was the point of this? And God said, what if the point of this wasn't about you achieving anything at all? What if the point of this was for you to make a choice and make a choice and make a choice to build a culture of love in Doug's living room? Cats crawling around and everything. To show Doug a picture of who I am by simply showing up. What if that was the point? What if... What if I'm gonna make the change happen and all you have to do is show up? What if the same instructions for love are the instructions for this lava lamp? Plug it in, plug it in, get your love from me and then turn it on. Make your love active, do something with your love. And then what was the most important rule? Leave the light on, leave it on. Because what happens after a while is that wax that was all hard, all stuck, is gonna to start to flow. It's gonna to start to look beautiful. It's gonna create a picture of who I am in Doug's life. All you gotta do is trust my love that it's gonna do its thing. It's gonna do what love does, just sit. And what happens when we do that? The most incredible thing, a picture of God's love is actually made complete. His love is made complete in us. And that sounds very presumptuous, like, wow, really God's love complete in us? Actually, yeah, that's God's intention. In 1 John 
Chapter four, verse 12, it says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And here it is. His love is made complete in us. Truly, what a high honor. What a weighty responsibility to know that from the choices we make with each other determines whether God's love is made complete or not. This is a big deal. We should pay attention. When Paul says the greatest of these is love, he's not kidding around. He's pointing this tool, say, hey, this is what matters. Love never fails. It's a promise. God's love will never leave you. It'll never forsake you, but you've got to pick up that love and promise to others that that love is never going to fail them. Learn the art of never leaving and never forsaking. This is what it means. It's a challenge and a promise together. Love never fails. Let's make it a lifestyle because it's the language of eternity. It's the culture of heaven. It's the character of God. And we have got to keep practicing love. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your gift of love. We thank you for what it means to us. Thank you that it never fails. Thank you for that promise. But God, we thank you for that challenge that you push us to flip the script, to love others the ways you have loved us. God, I pray that you would awaken us, God, quicken us, let your Holy Spirit lead us and guide us. That we would remember not to lose interest, not to lean out, not to leave, but we're gonna do what love does. We're gonna leave the light on and wait patiently as you do your work through the love that we show. Help us to do it, God. And we'll give you all the glory because you deserve it. If you're here at any one of our campuses, we've been talking a lot about Jesus. Maybe you've heard these stories of Jesus and you're saying, I don't know that I really truly know Jesus. I've heard about him but I don't know that I know him. I don't know that I've begun a relationship with him. Well, that can change right now. Jesus has made it so simple. He paid it all for you. He gave everything he had to open the door, to lean in and say, hey, come and see, follow me. All we have to do is make that choice to remain the same way John did. So if that's you and you're saying, I'm ready, the Holy Spirit is tugging on my heart right now. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling that tension to do something, to act, now is your day. This is your day to say yes to Jesus. So here's what I'd love to do. I'd love to pray with you. And if you could agree with this prayer in your heart, but also if you could take that action step, we have prayer teams at every one of our campuses. We're your church family. Come to us, let us know that you're starting your journey with Jesus. We wanna hold your hand. We wanna walk with you and celebrate your journey of faith together. So let's pray this. God, thank you. Thank you that you gave me your love. I know that I'm a sinner. I fail constantly, and that's why I need an unfailing love. God, I say yes to you. I give you my life. Today is the first day of my walk with you. I'll never look back. I've made my decision. Let's walk together hand in hand. In Jesus' name, amen.